Christmas is a time where there are many things that go around in our hearts. There's many different emotions and experiences that people have, particularly on this day. There's lots of celebration. There's lots of hope and expectation. There's, there's the joy, perhaps, of seeing family that you haven't seen for a while or being with friends and, and just the celebration, the good meal. There's all of those things. There's also sometimes a missing, missing of loved ones that aren't with you. One of our sons are, is not with us today. He's overseas, and we miss him. We think of him. Perhaps you're missing people that you've lost recently or even not so recently because it's the time of the year where we miss those that were dear to us that are no longer with us. For some, it's a lonely time. For some, it's a time where they feel disappointment and lack. There's so many different aspects and experiences to Christmas. But it's in a moment like this where it's important for us to remember that this is ultimately about the glory of Jesus. And that no matter what our experience, no matter what we exp what, how we're approaching today and what we feel and don't feel, that we need to, in a sense, surrender that and, and not put our focus on that, but put our focus on Jesus. To say thank you, Jesus. Because He's ultimately our hope. He's our security. He's our provider. He's our everything. He is God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the one that is worthy of it all. So can I ask you just in a moment to allow everything else that's going on in your heart and in your mind and perhaps your thoughts are on all the work that still needs to be done before the family comes and you're hoping the church service won't be too long and whatever it is. But can we just for a moment just all of, let all of that sort of subside? And put our focus on Jesus. And join me in a prayer where we just pray and we say, Lord Jesus, we love you above all else. You are more important to us than anything because you are worthy of it all. Whatever's going on in my life, whatever Christmas is about and the experiences of Christmas that I have, I come and I bring that all to you. I surrender that to you and I say, Jesus, you are worthy of it all. I lift you up. Though my hope is in you. My comfort is in you. My security is in you. My joy is in you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are more than enough. You are more than sufficient. You are the center of everything. And we love you, Jesus. And we worship you. And we all together say, amen and amen. You're so welcome to take your seats. Thank you to our team. I've been... Uh, just meditating on Luke 1 for a while now and, and just reading into that about over this Christmas season and, and just in the story of, of the nativity. And uh, yesterday at the South Church, I, I shared a, a first part of a sort of twofold message about Luke chapter 1, and today I want to do the second part of it. Um, as you will know, there are three characters that we basically it got, get introduced to in the story of the, of the birth and the preparation of the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter one. And those are Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, Elizabeth, his wife, the mother of John the Baptist, and then Mary, the mother of Jesus. And, and right in Luke chapter one, we see the angel come and appear to these people and begin to, well, at least to Zechariah and to Mary, and, and begin to tell them about what's to happen and what they to expect. 
expect. And it becomes this life-changing period of time for them. And uh, yesterday in the service at the South, I, I spoke a bit about Zechariah and just the dynamics of what he was experiencing in that moment. And today I want to focus a bit more on Mary and on Elizabeth also a little bit. I don't know about you, but it's been my sense, and I think it's a growing sense amongst many people, um, that it feels like something in, we, we're busy being set up for something in the world to happen of something of a move of God. Anybody else feels that way? It feels like things can't just carry on the way they are. That, that God is allowing things to develop and that perhaps this coming year, 2024, we don't know, but we, were gonna, we are going to see something of God's hand move across the earth. And you know, that means it's not business as usual. That means that we have to be, if that is true, if God is going to move, we have to be as people of God in a space where we can respond to him, where we don't miss when he comes along and he does something, but that we are in the right place. And it's from that angle that I, I've sort of read these verses and thought about these people and how they were living their lives and sort of just living normal lives with normal expectations, things pretty much set out for them. If you think of Zechariah, he was over 60 already, priest. He had a very predictable pattern to his life. Twice a year for a week at a time, he would go to the temple and serve in the temple. And life, him and Elizabeth knew they weren't going to have children. Life had a sort of predictable, understanded pattern to it. And even with Mary, she was betrothed. She had a, knew what life was going to present to her, roughly. But then suddenly, something happens. And it changes everything. Not only for them, but for us. So I'd like you to go with me to Luke 1 and verse 26 as I'm going to read particularly now about Mary and her encounter in this event of the, of the angel announcing the, the coming of the Messiah. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now, it's important here that when we read these stories, the, this chapter, we, we remember how linked Mary and Elizabeth's experience is with one another. They keep referencing in this account of Luke, and remember Luke was an historian. He recorded history for us, both in the book of Luke and in the book of Acts. But when he records the history, he makes sure that we understand that there is a link, a shared experience of some sorts between Elizabeth and Mary. And you'll read, when you read it, you'll see how he in this five months of this pregnancy, six months of this pregnancy, he references them together. To a virgin, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Gabriel was having a busy sort of half a year. Just a while before that, he had to go and speak to Zechariah, and now he's coming to speak to Mary. So he's been up and down between heaven and earth. A town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be, a, to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. When I, when I read this, I was sort of struck by this last sentence. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Greatly troubled. That is an interesting response. When an angel comes all the way from heaven and stands before you and says, hey, you are highly favored of God. I think in our modern way of thinking, perhaps we would have gone, yes, 
I'm favored by God. I can buy that Range Rover that I've always wanted. Amen? Or I can get that house, or perhaps I can get better clothing, or, you know, my family, we can upgrade because we're favored by God, you know? We're blessed, we're not the head, we're not, we're the head, we're not the tail. We're above, we're not below. You know, we're favored by God. That's how we interpret so often what this idea of favor means. We, in our days, we, we've come to, to assume and link the word favor with material wealth and blessing. But obviously, that's not how Mary experienced the word favor. Because the angel says to her, you are highly favored of the Lord. And the scripture says she's troubled by that. She's concerned. She's a bit perplexed. She's Wondering, what, what does this mean? This feels like it's going to change my life, and I don't know if this is a good thing. I'm about to be swept away by something that I'm not going to have control over, and, and she was a bit concerned. Just uh, uh, last week, we went to one of our favorite beaches where we love to go swimming when we're on holiday, and we've been there many, many times, and we went to just a the, the five of, my, my family was five and a friend, one of our fr- uh, son's friends that came along and we were going to spend a bit of a day at the beach and, and so we went down and it was a bit of a windy day so only the Valleys were on the beach. You remember what the Valleys are? Us Gautengas, there were no other local people. It was quite quiet on the beach but we thought, hey, we're going to have, we're going to make the best of it, you know. And uh, so we set up on, on beach and uh, we, we eventually worked our way into the sea and uh, as we got into the ocean, we, we sort of realized that the ocean's a bit upset. It's, uh, it's not feeling too friendly. And uh, so my one son still leant over to me and he said, listen, we can't go deep today. We've got to stay shallow because this sea is not in a good space. And uh, so we, we didn't. We didn't want to go deeper and we were just swimming sort of here in the front. And then my other son said to, said to me, listen, we need to get back. We are drifting off from the from the, uh, you know, the flags they put up, the, the lifeguards on the beach. And we were going to the one end. And I said, no, okay, yeah. And I started swimming and I realized I'm not making any headway. In fact, I'm going further and further away. And I thought, listen, I have to give it like a couple of good strokes here to get back out of, because obviously I'm entering into a current. And I, and I started swimming and I gave about 10 or 12 good strokes and I realized... I'm moving the other direction. And I was caught by a current, and there was a rip current. And uh, fortunately, I knew enough to know that at some point, you just got to relax. You got to allow the current to take you. You cannot work against it, because then you'll exhaust yourself, and then you'll drown. So I just lay on my back, and then noticed that the lifeguards were charging. And uh, they were really good, and they noticed that me and my one son, that we were taken by the current. So they jumped into the water, one with a kayak came, and uh, rescued me, put me on the kayak, and, you know, I'm here today. Thank the Lord for that. But I'm telling you that story because I think that's the feeling Mary was getting in that moment. She was getting that feeling of, I'm about to be swept away by a current that is far stronger than what I am. She was perplexed. She was concerned. And as the scripture puts it so beautifully, and uh, she was greatly troubled. She was greatly troubled. The statement, you are highly favored by God. A statement that so many of us would want to welcome in our lives. She's troubled by this statement. Now, one of the challenges we face with Christmas is that Christmas can become a bit of a candy-coated, you know, non-real, sentimental, woo-hoo kind of time. 
You know, it's so often how Christmas has developed into this space where, where it be, it's this permission for people to forget their real lives for a moment, to forget their troubles and to, and to go into excess, to eat too much, to drink too much, to just, you know, just forget about life and just, just escape all the difficulties and, and for a moment just feel like everything's wonderful and fine and they spend too much and they do too much and, and it's like this little bit of a sentimental time. That's not what Mary was experiencing in this moment. There was nothing sentimental for her in this statement of the favor of the Lord is upon you. As a young person, she was probably around 15 or 16 years old at this time. She had enough savvy to understand. This is going to change my life. I'm about to be swept away by a current that I am not going to control. And so she was troubled. Then we, therefore, we can read her response. In Luke 1, verse 30, the angel continues to encourage her. He said, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. Again, that word, favor. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. The, the angel begins to talk about these wonderful things. All she can hear is, you're about to get pregnant. And she's like, excuse me? That's not such a great news to tell me right now. I'm about to get pregnant. That's, she didn't hear the rest. Because we can see when she responds, she says, how will this be? In verse 34, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin, how's it, how can it be that I can become pregnant now? What are you talking about? I can't be pregnant. I promise you I can't be pregnant. She's wrestling with this idea of the favor of God. We must remember she was in a state of betrothal or being betrothed. Now in the, in the time, what that meant for Jewish people was that her and her family and some guy's family have come to an agreement that they're going to be married. And uh, they have, you know, done the Labola negotiations. The Labola's been paid. They've done all the things. And now she is legally betrothed to this young man. We, obviously we know the young man's name by the name of Joseph. That meant they were in a legal status. Not like we are today when you're engaged. It's not a legal status. It's an agreement between two people, but it has no legal status to it. In those days, that agreement was not just between them. It was between the families, and it had a legal status. If she wanted to step out of that state of betrothal, she would need a certificate of divorce. That's how serious they took it. So she says, I'm betrothed. Now, normally what happens is when a, when a couple, young couple gets betrothed, then what, what goes on is they, the families decide they're going to get married, but then the, 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 the bride, uh, the bridegroom, the guy, he goes off, and he goes to work and to find a way to now begin to build a home. Normally what a home would be is he would attach to his father's house, he would build three walls and a roof to one of the walls of his father's house outside, and that would be where they would live. And it would roughly take him about a year to do that. So for about a year, they almost had no contact with each other because his focus was now going to go work, get some money, build a house, and then when he's ready to provide a home for her, he would come and he would call her to come to him. So Mary was in this in-between state. She, had, she has the promise of being married. She's in a legal state. I'm going to be married, but she's not married yet. 
And so she's a virgin. And the angel says to you, you are about to be with child. She says, how will this be? How, how can you tell me this? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word, be to me, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So the angel tells her about this incredible, marvelous thing that would happen. It will be the only time that this will ever happen. It has never happened before, and it will never happen again. That she will become pregnant because of the moving of the Spirit of God over her life. God will do a creative miracle that will cause her to become pregnant. Imagine you're 15 or 16 years old, and an angel tells you this. I mean, she must have thought, am I going crazy? What is going on? This is like... This is big stuff. And then the angel continues to talk about the heavens and the earth and the king and God's eternal plans. And she's like, I'm just 15, 16 years old. How did I find myself in the middle of all of this? And all of this is going to happen with me. But now she has enough sense to say, okay, well, if that's what God says, I can't fight it. I can't stand against it. So she says, may your word to me be fulfilled. Not a statement, and if you read it in the original language, not a statement of excitement, but sort of a statement of resignation. A statement of, well, if that's what God decided he's going to do, well, who am I to complain? Who am I to stand against God? Let God will be done. But not really very happy about this. Still troubled. But the angel was very gracious to her. And he planted a little seed in her mind to help her. And this is the seed that he planted. He says to her, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. You're not alone. You're not the only one that's now going through something miraculous. Because she knows her cousin Elizabeth. She knows her cousin Elizabeth is probably also around her 60s somewhere and has never been able to have a child. But now suddenly the angel says, your cousin is also pregnant. So she knows I'm not the only one that's going to go here through some un unexplainable pregnancy and life event, my cousin's also going through something similar. So I'm not alone in this. So guess what's the first thing she does after the angel leaves her? What does it say to us in verse 39? At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. She said, I've got to go to my cousin. I've got to go to speak to somebody that's going through what I'm going. And I think this is a beautiful picture that the scripture provides us. Of these two women, remember this is a patriarchal society, but here, the beginning of the story of Jesus, Luke 1, focuses on these two women, having some form of a shared experiences, but from two different, very different angles. On the one hand, we have a young 15, 16-year-old girl, not supposed to be pregnant because she's too young. She's not in, married yet. And on the other hand, we have a 60-something-year-old or 50, late 50s-year-old woman who's also not supposed to be pregnant because she's too old. She's beyond having children. And both of them are suddenly pregnant. And they find comfort. They find fellowship. They find strength with one another. Isn't it great that Mary can go to her cousin and say, help me understand what is going on. What am I going through? 
because Elizabeth at least has had six months to process this already. She's a little bit down the line. And so they go and they meet together. But not only does this become a meeting of two women in a shared, some form of shared experiencing, adding comfort to each other, but it becomes a miraculous moment of the moving of the Holy Spirit. Because let's read on. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, when she basically, as Mary stepped into the house, she was still in the, in the doorway of the house and said, hello, Elizabeth. At that moment, without any great interaction between the two of them, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The baby leapt in her womb. This six-month-old fetus, this unborn child recognizes, is the first to recognize the Messiah. To recognize in its, and by, the, by then Jesus must have been a, like a, a couple of weeks. They haven't even been able to go for a test yet. They haven't even had a scan done at the hospital yet to know what's going on. I don't even know if Mary was completely sure that she was pregnant because remember they didn't have those little sticks with the two stripes on it. I don't know what, but this little, little, you know, Psygote, embryo, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we must recognize that in that unformed state of humanity, he was still Jesus, the creator of everything. 100% God. And this John the Baptist in his mother's womb leaps. Wow, I'm in the presence of God. Have you ever felt, a friend of mine, uses this and when he talks about experiencing God, he says, have you ever felt your baby leap? Have you ever been in the presence of God? And something in you goes, and you just know, I'm in the presence of God. And the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth. Now, I don't know what that looked like. I don't know what manifestation she went through. I don't know how, what, what, you know, because we know what it looks like when the Holy Spirit fills somebody, don't, fills somebody, don't we? We see them filled with gifts, speaking in tongues. Sometimes they fall over, sometimes they laugh, sometimes they cry, sometimes they're just very quiet. I don't know. But the scripture tells us Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. But one of the manifestations we can see that we can read between the lines is as she's filled with the Spirit, she expresses faith and wisdom in that moment. Let's read on. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill his promise to her. Now imagine you're Mary. You have had this angel come to you and give you this, this news that you know your life is changing. It's, you're being swept away. And, and you're trying to figure out, you're trying to process this, you're trying to deal with this. 
I don't know if she's spoken to Joseph even about this. I think she's still in a phase of, of keeping this quiet in her own heart and going, I need to figure out how I'm going to respond to this. I don't know how to feel about this yet. And then you go to Elizabeth, and your cousin reacts in such a powerful way where she goes, wow, you are blessed among women. Do you think that'll help you process what's going on? That may help you reorientate your thinking. Perhaps she was still in a state of thinking, how do I get out of this? But now Elizabeth, filled with the spirit of wisdom and of faith, recognizes the power of this moment and begins to speak life and impart wisdom and impart truth to Mary. And it begins to impact Mary. And when Elizabeth speaks those words, something happens in Mary where the faith in Mary begins to be unlocked. The faith, the, the, the worship, the response of not just, okay, well, God, if you're going to do this, then do it. But she begins to change to a space of, wow, Lord, how privileged am I that you're going to do this with me. Her mind starts moving away from the, from the challenge of being favored by God and starts seeing the privilege of being favored by God in this moment. Because after she's been with Elizabeth, we have this beautiful song that Mary offers. She takes portions of the Old Testament. Remember, this is a 15, 16-year-old girl. She's not a boy. She didn't go to the Jewish school, get educated as the boys did, memorized the scripture. But this girl begins to quote and weave together different portions of Old Testament Scripture, predominantly from 1 Samuel, where Hannah sang. Remember when Hannah sang a song after she was, became pregnant with Samuel or declared that she would be pregnant with Samuel? She sang the song. Mary takes portions of that, and she takes portions of other Scriptures, and she weaves together this beautiful song that we call the Magnificat. Can you see a change happening in Mary? Faith is arising. Something Revelation is taking hold of her, and it changes the way she sees things. It changes what she experiences. And let me just read this worship song to you. She says this, and Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to regeneration. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped the servant of Israel, his servant of Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever. Just as he promised our ancestors, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. The song that she wrote is a beautiful yet deep piece of revelation of, that shows remarkable understanding of what God is actually busy doing because of the Holy Spirit that is moving, the Holy Spirit that is bringing, birthing something, not just She's not just an empty vessel, a carrier of a baby. 
She is a carrier of revelation, of understanding what God is doing and responding to that. She's making a huge change in her life. Moving from, well, God's going to do something with my life that is going to be tough. And remember, she didn't even know how tough it was going to get. I don't think when somebody stands in front of you, an angel, and says you are favored of the Lord, you think that one day you're going to stand next to your son when he's crucified, and that's the favor of God. She didn't even know how tough it was going to be, but she had enough sense. She wasn't sentimental and, you know, all romanticized about Christmas. She knew this was going to be difficult for her. But she moved from, Lord, let your will be done, to, Lord, I praise you. You see, because she understood what the word favor really means. And the word favor, when it's used in the scripture, does not necessarily mean material wealth and possessions as we have often connected it to. But the word favor means that you have had God's hand on your life for his purpose. That you have been favored by God. That he will fulfill his purpose through your life. That is the favor of God. And she begins to understand that no matter what it costs her, no matter what it takes away from her to allow God to have his way with her life, she is favored and privileged. Because it's not about her, it's about him. And we see this even in her song. When you read this Magnificat, it's interesting to note that in the first couple of sentences, there's a lot of me's in the sentence. I'm gonna read it for you again. There's a lot of me, my, talking about herself. But then about a third of the way, she stops talking about herself and she starts talking all about him and God and reflecting praise to him. Because she even makes that transition. This is not about me, this is about him. And if I get to be a part of what God is doing, I'm favored and I'm privileged. No matter what it, complications it adds to my life. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. And that's the last me that she says. From that moment on, she says, holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds, and so she carries on. One of the magnificent things we see here in Mary's understanding, and I think this was when she was spending time with Elizabeth and they were talking through and processing these things. The, the only other person in the world that could have helped Mary at that time was Elizabeth. Even in his mother's womb, John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus by, through his mother, helping the mother of Jesus. These two women sharing this together, I think in their sharing, this revelation began to unfold, this understanding. And it brought about this transition in the life of Mary. That she moved to a space of, Lord, let your will be done. And she understood that she doesn't deserve this. There's no reason that she could offer why this happened to her. She wasn't qualified by anything she ever did. And we see that in her behavior when she goes to Elizabeth, there's no air of superiority, there's no look at me, I'm the, you know, you're the old woman, you're the has-been, you've had your turn, I'm the young one, I'm up and coming. Look, I'm the carrier of the Messiah. None of that. There's a humility, there's a, there's a brokenness even. There's not this sentimentality and romanticized person. She knows she deserves nothing. She's a poor, poor girl. 
Her family comes from poverty. They were poor people. And she remained poor. When she comes to Elizabeth here, she's, she's of a poor family of the backwaters somewhere. She's got no claim to fame. Yet God decides, I'm going to use you for my purpose. And she goes, wow, that is the most magnificent thing that ever happened. And by the way, I just want to make sure you understand, they remained poor people, her and Joseph. I, I recently, a while ago, I heard a preacher talk about how Joseph and Mary was rich. And this pastor calculated, used some way to calculate all the, you know, the gold, the myrrh, the frankincense, the whatever they were given, and the rand value or the dollar value of that, and how much that was. And that meant now that Jesus' family, when he grew up, you know, he had the best crib, and he had the best monitor with video and Wi-Fi, and, you know, they had the best because they were wealthy now because of all of these gifts. Luke 2 tells us a bit of a different story. Because remember in Luke 2, when they go to the temple to circumcise Jesus and to have his name, you know, to, to pray over him, they, uh, the, the cleansing ceremony that Mary had to do after a, mo- a woman fell pregnant and gave given birth, they have to go for the cleansing ceremony. And in the cleansing ceremony, it tells us they brought two doves as an offering. Leviticus 12 verse 8 tells us what to give when you give an offering to God as a cleansing offering for a woman in that state. And it's supposed to be a lamb that you offer to bring cleansing. But then in verse 8 it says, but if you are too poor to have a lamb, you can bring two pigeons. So either Mary and Joseph was rich and hiding their riches so that they could get away with a cheap offering, but I don't think that's possible. I don't think that's the way we want to go. Or they were just really still poor. So I don't know what happened to the gold of frankincense and everything. But they were everyday people. Regular people. Joseph was a training to be a carpenter. He was happy. Getting Appy's pay. Driving an old beat up city golf. They were like really trying to just make ends meet. And God puts his hand on them and says, you are highly favored. Now this is the point and I'm going to finish with this. I believe God wants to do something in the world. But it requires a people that says, Lord, favor me by putting your hand on me and using me for your purpose. And I will praise you in that. I will worship you in that. No matter what it costs me, no matter how it changes my life, use me, Lord. No matter how uncomfortable it makes things for me, how it brings questions to me, how it changes my expectations and hopes in life, use me, Lord. You see, because sometimes we have a Christianity that tells us God is there to make your life become the way you want it to be. That's not what Mary understood. Mary understood my life is there to serve his purpose. And she got to step into the purpose of God that was planned and prepared before the world was even created. She becomes part of that purpose. What can God do with a people that says, have your way, Lord? It's not about me, it's about you. What can God do? Now, the God I know is a loving father, is a generous father. Jesus said, if you seek first his kingdom, if that's your orientation in life, he will add all good things to you. You will not go hungry. You will not not be without. He will provide for you. It may not look the way I think it always should look, but he is faithful. He is good. I can trust him with all my needs. 
But I'm no longer living my life towards that which I think is important. I'm living my life like Mary had to make that change to say, I am favored by God because God has put his hand upon me. What can God do with a people like that? Can I ask you to stand with me? I want to reiterate again. I really believe that God is preparing his people because he wants to do something in the earth. He wants to move. But he needs people like Elizabeth, like Mary, like Zechariah, like Joseph. People, ordinary, everyday people, unremarkable people to just say, Lord, what you want to do, I will be so privileged to be part of that. And it will be my joy, Lord. I will worship you. What could God do with your life? You may think your life is unremarkable. You may think you know how your life is going to play out. You may think you know what's ahead of you, good or bad. Who knows what God can do with your life? Can I lead us in a prayer today where we just say, Lord, have your way. Come and have your way. Perhaps in the words of John the Baptist, may I become less so that you may become more. Lord Jesus, we thank you that when you came to earth and was born as a baby, you told us that you care about this earth and everything that happens here, that you've not given up on us, that you have not turned your back on us, that you have found a way, Lord Jesus, to come and restore us and to bring us back into your family, to bring us back into the joy of your purposes and of your plans. And thank you, Jesus, that today, on this Christmas day, we're not just remembering something that happened 2,000 plus years ago, we are remembering something that lives and is alive with us today, the reality that we are your children and that we are your servants. And I pray for that. I pray for us as your, as your church, as your people. I pray, Lord, that they would be in us, not just a, a surrender that is sort of, oh, well, if God's going to do what God's going to do, how can I change it? But a worship an adoration, an exclamation of joy, an understanding, a revelation of the wonder of having God's hand being put upon us. We do not deserve it, Lord, but we thank you that you chose us and you have chosen to use us. Here am I, Lord. Use me. Here am I, Lord. Have your way with my life. Help me, Lord. Give me the privilege of being part of your purposes and your plans, I ask in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are my provider. You are my protector. You are my God. You are my Lord. You are my everything. And I can trust you with all of my needs. Everything is in you. Because in you I live and move and have my being. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for your people that as we go from this place today, that we will go in the sense of your presence, and as we celebrate with family and loved ones, as we miss those that aren't with us, that we will do so in your favor and in your presence and in your goodness, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you for being with us today. Have a wonderful day. Bless you.